welcome back to another episode of uh, Sex Essentialist. Um, today we have a little bit of a Pride-themed kink cast of sorts. As always, I am your host, M, and today I'm chatting with you all about leather culture. Ooh, what's that? What does it mean? What's it all about? Um, yeah, let's get into it. Leather culture. Um, I feel like we all know of it. We see it at Pride, see it on the internet. It specifically refers to having a sexual identity or practice that centers around wearing leather garments. Um, It's the obvious part. (laughs) This can include jackets, vests, chaps, harnesses, and more. It can be associated with uh, BDSM practices, but for many, it's simply an erotic way of dressing that expresses uh, sometimes masculinity and, and sometimes sexual power. To really explain uh, to you all what the leather subculture is, and more importantly, how it relates to pride, I'd like to go over the history. Again, uh, its history is, after all, part of what makes it an important facet of pride celebrations. So, Following World War II, uh, motorcycle clubs and biker culture grew into uh, popularity. So it's generally assumed that this is where leather subculture was born. Many of these uh, 1940s motorcycle clubs were founded in large cities like Los Angeles and New York, uh, as large communities of Americans were generally dissatisfied with mainstream culture and were seeking to create counterculture and anti-establishment movements. Gay men in particular flocked to these large cities following what was known at the time as blue discharges. A blue discharge not affiliated with uh, the normal discharge we talk about here on the show. Uh, It was neither a honorable nor a dishonorable discharge from the army. Um, It was incepted in 1916 originally, uh, and during World War II, it became a way of removing gay men uh, from service, basically. It was too inconvenient by the 1940s to just imprison them for being gay, so they were were, uh, discharged under a blue discharge. So after the 1947 motorcycle riot, referred to later as the Hollister Riot, was publicly broadcast across the country. Films such as 1953's The Wild One, starring Marlon Brando, portrayed masculine protagonists rocking a black leather jacket, tilted cap, white t-shirt, jeans, and boots. We see this look replicated later with James Dean and Elvis Presley. Butch and masculine identifying gay men began also replicating the look, um, and and gay-focused motorcycle clubs began appearing uh, subsequently in the 1950s, like the LA-based Satyrs Motorcycle Club and Oedipus Motorcycle Club. You can check those out on Wikipedia. The leather community that was born from these motorcycle clubs eventually became a safe haven for kink and BDSM exploration. The first gay leather bar in the U.S. opened in Chicago in 1958. Uh, It was created by Dom Orejudos and Chuck Renslow. Later, uh, San Francisco became the cultural center of this movement when the Toolbox opened its doors in 1961. 
It was frequented heavily by gay motorcycle club members and was made famous by a 1964 Life article entitled Homosexuality in America by Paul Welch. The article described San Francisco as the gay capital of America, and thus the leather community there grew as well. In the mid-20th century, American censorship laws forbade art from portraying homoerotic acts. Tom of Finland, who uh, was from Finland, um, a homoerotic artist, created work portraying men with bulging muscles and leather outfits, not engaging in sex itself, but exercising or working out, among other things. Not only was Tom's work heavily influenced by Brando's 1953 role and the subsequent leather culture, but it heavily influenced the gay leather scene itself. In fact, in 2009, Tom of Finland was inducted into the Leather Hall of Fame, which I didn't know existed before. In the late 1970s, uh, Cynthia Slater became a well-known advocate for lesbian inclusion into the leather community. She persuaded San Francisco's S&M Leather and Fisting Club, the Catacombs, great name, to expand from being gay men only to including lesbians. She was also an early proponent for BDSM safety and later an AIDS activist, uh, which I'll get into here uh, in in a moment. There were other lesbian adopters of the leather subculture as well. And in 1979, Dykes on Bikes led the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade for the first time and has continued to lead San Francisco's Pride Parade since. You all uh, may remember a few years ago, there was quite a bit of online discourse debating whether or not Leathermen and Leather Dykes, as well as other kink and fetish communities, had a place at Pride. The opposition argued that Pride was meant to be family-friendly and that having kink and fetish communities visible created an adult environment and made it inaccessible for younger attendees or parents and maybe just gave queer people a, a bad rap or something. Um, if the blatantly clear rights-oriented history of the leather subculture hasn't already convinced you that that is bullshit, let me tell you one more thing. When the AIDS crisis hit the gay community in America in earnest, Leathermen and Leather Dykes were at the forefront of activist movements. They were the first to not only throw fundraisers and BDSM events to raise money for medical bills, but they quite literally nursed ailing LGBTQ plus individuals. They were, in many cases, the only people providing physical touch and affection to those society had deemed untouchable, literally. Um, in fact, the leather community has been recognized by the city of San Francisco for their immense contribution of um, aid support and safe sex advocacy in addition to their great cultural history. Case in point, leather belongs at Pride. So what does the leather community look like today in this ever-changing world? The leather community was, at at its inception, an opportunity of self-expression for oppressed men to own their masculinity and portray themselves as rebellious and tough when wartime society had so vehemently forced them into a feeble stereotype. Today, the essence of the leather community is roughly the same, but members have diversified greatly. At its inception, the club was, as I've said, primarily accessible to rich cisgender men, 
you had to be able to afford the swanky leather jacket and Harley Davidson, right? In the last several years, uh, this has changed greatly, and more transgender individuals as well as people of color have become a part of the scene, and even winners of leather pageants and competitions, which I also hadn't realized were such a thing until I researched for this episode. In conclusion, when you see dykes on bikes or men wearing leather jockstraps and harnesses, keep in mind that they're part of a really long history of LGBTQ plus activism and support. They're doing them just like they're doing you. And, um, I don't know, it looks fucking cool too. I don't know, care if it's not your kink or fetish, it just looks sick, so. Um, alright, folks, that's it for this week's KingCast. Happy Pride to all of you. Be safe. Have fun. We'll talk soon.